Hello, everyone. I'm Dan Gundry with Knock Your Socks Off. I am very excited here today to be joined by two of what I consider to be uh, true experts in the command and control uh, industry. I first met uh, Sonia and Lambert uh, about four years ago, three and a half years ago or so, um, when we were talking about uh, this specific subject uh, on a webinar. I learned a lot from them, and so I invited them on to be guests, so hopefully you can uh, gain some insights as well from them and their experiences. So, uh, so Sonia and Lambert, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Um, what I what I want to do is, so during some of our prep, uh, well, actually during our prep, but over the last couple of years, one of the things I've noticed about your career paths is that you guys have really evolved from, you know, this, the physical side of the security world into the cyber side of the world, which is a really interesting pivot uh, that the industry is making. Um, but, you know, what, Sonia, what can you share about that pivot? Maybe challenges, uh, um, you know, uh, revelations, uh, similarities. Give us, give us some, give us some updates on that change uh, in your in your career. I'm quickly going through first of all the emotions that I went through because it was a very big change. Um, I'm used to walking into the room and not be the one that knows the least, but and I was fearful about that. Uh, I think it took many conversations with Lambert, many phone conversations, and even meeting together so we could talk about the change that he had made. And he's the one that in a way convinced me, he's like, Sonia, you can do this. Uh, I made a few phone calls. Once we spoke about network, I made a few phone calls, called people in my network, and they gave me the confidence to be able to finally make that change. Once I made that change, I realized that there are so many similarities. And all I need to do is continue to learn and be thirsty, which is not a problem. But uh, it was a lot of fear. It was a lot of confirming to myself. And it was a lot of accepting that it is awesome to be the one who knows the least in a room. <laughs> yeah. So thank That's you, Lambert. Cool. <laughs> I love it. Lambert, how about you? Can you can you walk us through the similar scenario, uh, thought process, mm -hmm. and, and some of the things you've pulled out of that experience? Yeah, and I completely agree with uh, with Sonia. Um, when I was making the transition, which just popped up in front of me, um, again, it wasn't something that I was thinking of doing. You know, uh, we're all a little interested in what what lies behind the curtain of cybersecurity, but how many of us really know? you know, how to, how to get there and what's, uh, what's behind it. So I was interested, but I was apprehensive as well. Um, when I made the leap, the first thing I learned was, yes, I absolutely know nothing on this side of the curtain, but two, the second thing, which was so liberating was for the first time, I didn't have to, I didn't have to be the person who knew everything and was doing all the work. I just needed to, you know, help a team become, you know, better, help them do the things that they need to do. And um, like Sonia said, yes, not knowing much. Um, yeah, definitely was a liberating experience for me and definitely one I wanted to share. <laughs> so um, that's, that's why we're here now. <laughs> uh, so first of all, like I said, I think it's great. I think it's brave, uh, first and foremost. Um, so, so uh, you know, I congratulate both of you on that. 
And you you came from a GSOC environment, so Global mm. Security Operations Center environment, into a CSOC uh, type of environment, Cybersecurity Operations Center. Um, how much of those workflows that SOP is similar? How much of that is different? The the best thing I can say on that is that um, CSOCs and just the cyber side tends to be a, a little more, rigid is the wrong word, probably more regimented. There are certain things that can happen and certain things that can't. And so um, developing procedures, developing guidelines, developing even policies, um, not that it's easier, but it's easier to to work with the the processes um i guess is the is the best way of saying that on the physical security side there are so many random elements out there mainly because of people you know cybersecurity, even though it involve, involves people it has this built-in element of you know computers or you know just um information that is it either it's either on or off unfortunately on the physical security side with people people just mess everything up make it all muddy and stuff so um yes we were able to bring things along but i think things are a little more stable on the the uh, cybersecurity side you can see where the problem is and you can see where the threat is and you can target it um pretty standardly i'd say I think it's very objective in many ways, because in the physical side of things, we have to work with the subjective components, whereas in cybersecurity, it's a very much objective approach. And I think that for people like me, because we like to go A, B, C, D, get it done, it becomes much easier. And you can see the production and you can see the transformation. It's a lot more visible versus in the physical security. uh, Sometimes you just have to brace and expect for the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so this, this brings in something going back to when we did the webinar a couple of years ago that I pulled out of that one of those little nuggets and I, and I had many of them during that. Um, one of, and I, I, I think it was Lambert, maybe something that you were, you were espousing was, you know, you know, defining mission, but then also the flexibility. And, and obviously that speaks really well to what you just talked about in terms of the human factor. Right. So, um, but during our prep conversations, you were saying that's still really important in a, in a command center environment. So, you know, how does defining the mission, I think is one thing, first of all, what does that mean? And then to the flexibility, be flexible, what does that mean? And how would you in general terms con- command center, but then in the cyber world, uh, talk a little bit about that if you could. Yeah. So, um, as you're well aware, Dan, um, it's easy to put up, you know, um, a room and call it a command center or get a, um, a group of people together and call it a command center. Um, but if you don't know why you're doing the work, um, why you're um, getting these professionals together and what the direction is that we're going to be going, um, you're basically just going to be throwing a lot of money to, money at a problem that you can't solve. So that's why I think the uh, defining your mission in the beginning is very important because it also then determines um, how you're going to build this out, how you're, and then how your teams are going to function. Um, ambiguity is probably the worst thing that you can have in a center. Uh, you know, it, it destroys morale. It um, reduces productivity. Um, it's just, yes, one of the worst things that you can have. So, um, but 
unlike unlike a lot of other, I'd say, elements or uh, sections of security, your command centers need to be able to react to almost any situation that comes up. They're the ones that are expected to, you know, during an emergency to be calm because during an emergency, it's just their normal work. You know, when everybody, when everything else is on fire, your command center is that eye in the middle of a hurricane. Um, but they need to be able to pivot. Um, I, Sonia talks about this a lot, pivoting um, based on the information that you're getting in and based on the, the actions that you need um, your team to put into place. So, um, but that also only comes from how you design and define your, your, your mission and your software in the first place. And if I can add to that, he, he, Lambert just brings up ambiguity and how ambiguity hurts uh, the overall uh, response, right? Let's bring into a parenthesis accountability. Accountability is about clarity. So if we have a team that has the clarity of those guidelines, of those processes, then we understand that the process will, in the end, have a better result. So it kind of embraces uh, clarity, accountability, and the ability to respond. So we understand flexibility relative to the response and think uh, uh, at least the things that I've seen, and I've seen a small piece of it. Um, how about flexibility and mission? How does that evolve or change? Does that evolve or change as well over the evolution of a command center? Um, talk, talk to me about that a little bit, Sonia. Oh, flexibility. I think anyone in security needs to be uh, accountable to that flexibility because it will happen in every single way. Um, I think in my current experience, the transformation, technology dictating, AI dictating, um, the industry dictating. We have to be incredibly flexible and ready to support the organization when it pushes us to make changes to be able to adapt quickly. Uh, so is it a reality? Completely. Flexibility is part of our daily bread. Um, something else that came up in our prep conversation, which was really interesting to me, uh, and I you know, my, my world, the, 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 the umbrella that, that the, my day job is, is, is pro AV. Um, and you can define pro AV a lot of different ways, but in our world, we talk a lot about remote, op, uh, remote workforce, remote meetings, things like hybrid meetings, meeting equity as a term they use and things like that. Um, the, but you have a very different perspective, uh, in terms of the remote workforce today, because you're protecting it, you're securing it, you're interacting with it on a regular basis. Um, and maybe or maybe not, that was a, an aspect that you saw when you were you know, managing a, a, a global security operations center, physical security operations center. Uh, that seemed to be something that you guys had some very unique um, perspective on in terms of securing the remote workforce versus a, 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 an in-office workforce. Can you guys talk a little bit about that for a moment? Because I think it's a very unique perspective uh, that the AV market really doesn't see. I'll go. Yeah, I think, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Simon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was thinking about operational performance, mm -hmm. right? And how very important that operational performance is. But think about this. When you are in the SOC, in the GSOC, you can see it. You can observe that operational performance. When you work in your virtual SOC, when you are servicing someone else, you can see it, but you need to observe it. You need to trust your team. You need to be able to know that whomever you are helping uh, support 
and whomever is right the middleman, that analyst supporting that client, uh, it's capable of it. So operational performance comes down to trust. And I, I kind of look at it that way. I don't know, Lambert. Let me let me put you right there in the middle. <laughs> when we were um, still, you know, starting with the with COVID-19, you know, when, it, when the pandemic was here, um, you know, we had some people talking about these virtual environments, you know, or, you know, monitoring your employees, um, some of them working at home, some working in the office. Um, but back then you were still looking at it as we know where the people are that we want to keep safe. They're here in the office. Okay. Um, the people that we, the, the people who are working on the networks, you know, their laptops, they're in the office space. Okay. They're on our network. If they're not, if they're outside over there, eh. Yes, it is our problem, but not so much. <laughs> really. Now, the office is at the home, okay, for the most part. The office is at, at the home, and we are managing teams that are literally in their homes, um, you know, places that we've never seen, places where um, when they turn on their computer, we don't know what, um, you know, what their environment is. Malware, for example, is, is their network secure? Um, you know, I remember the first time that that um, I was issued a laptop that when it turned on, the uh, the antivirus and the VPN turned on immediately <laughs> because that was a those were the sorts of big concerns that we had to deal with with regard to. Now people are working from home; they're in a different environment. Um, and I think that has become some, you mentioned um, uh, offline that uh, we're starting to see more of the cyber element in physical security and in these these uh, um, uh, operation centers. And I, I want to say that is almost the reason why, because that office space has now grown. You know, yes, we've gotten rid of things, but it's grown because now it's in our homes. And how do we secure that element of our um, of our operations, whether it's on the physical security side, where we count basically everybody now as a traveler. That used to just be travel security, you know, but now everybody is a traveler because they're working remotely in another location. Um, but then also managing that um, cyber side as well, you know, making sure that that laptop, when it turns on, is secure, but also that it's not somebody's not logging in in China pretending to be, you know, us right here. All of those come into that remote work environment and I think make the job of that operations um, manager and also operations specialist so much more uh, critical. Yeah. And I think that blends in. No, and, and I almost equate it to the the difference um, in, in physical security of a, of a healthcare campus, right? Uh, an office campus and stuff like that, I might have fencing up and stuff like that. I know who the visitors are coming on. Everybody's basically in that one central location. In a healthcare campus, 
I don't know who's coming into my hospital environment, whether they be a patient, whether they be a loved one, the emotional state of that. And I almost imagine this work from home from a securing perspective is this, I have no idea what that home condition is. I have no idea what that home network looks like. I have no idea what somebody else who's using the same bandwidth might be doing or or going in. I have no idea if they're using that <clears throat> my, my work computer to shop on Amazon or click on links or whatever. So I can imagine that that is the wild, wild west in a lot of ways of, or the, the largest or one of the largest risk points for sure. Um, again, something we don't think about as laymen uh, outside of, say, uh, you know, a, a global security operations center on the cybersecurity side. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to talk about a nice big buzzword in all areas of the world right now, which is AI, right? Um, AI, artificial intelligence, is going to change our lives. And again, we tend to look at it through the lens of beneficial AI, right? How is this going? And, and even inside of a SOC, right? What AI tools do I have that makes me be more efficient, right? That help automate certain uh, behaviors, certain activities, certain, uh, you know, uh, uh, certain workflows. At the same time, I think one of the things I picked up on in some of our conversations before was AI as a threat. And so I get the beneficial side. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about how you guys look at AI as a threat and uh, and some of the observations and or concerns you have along that line. Talk to me about that. I mean, can I trust you? How do I know that yeah. you are you? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, right now, security mindset has changed. Yeah. The security mindset has changed so much when we think about AI and how much it's influencing uh, the threats at so many levels, right? I mean, we have people that are not people <laughs> and we have software that look like people and we human beings are not moving as quickly as AI or technology is moving. So it is interesting. I think it's something that we think about constantly. It's in the back of our minds. Yeah. I remember the first, um, the first time I heard, and this is just recently, the first time I heard of, you know, just some lay person, um, using chat GBT, uh, chat GBT to try and um, figure out um, how to take, you know, how to uh, um, uh, take advantage of a, of a certain vulnerability and, you know, out is spit, you know, the whole script of how to do <laughs> the thing. That are, and this is somebody who knows nothing about. And, and I'm always thinking about children, right? AI and how it is affecting the next generation, how it is affecting the safety of our children. I mean, I'm a mom. I'm constantly thinking about that. I'm constantly checking on the phones, making sure that my kid is talking to someone that it's someone that I know and that whatever he's doing, it's not something that it's being transformed and changed elsewhere, that he's not sharing pictures he shouldn't be sharing because they can be used and transformed elsewhere. And I also make sure that that next generation, it's mindful of what it's happening today, so what they do does not have a negative impact on whatever their future may be. Uh, I think that's important for all of us people in security too. Yeah, I think if one thing that we've learned from the from just cybersecurity and IT security that we should be taking, I think, into our personal lives is almost that concept of zero trust, right? It, um, and I hate saying that as, as a human being, talking to other human beings, but zero trust almost needs to be the default position in the world these days. Because again, son, you just don't know who you're talking to or what you're talking to, I guess, is the, the bottom line um, for sure. So we touched on it a little bit earlier. And Sonny, I think you, you kind of touched on it. Um, 
the other thing that's a hot topic right now in the world, and COVID kind of accelerated some of this conversation, the virtual command center, but even not the virtual command center, the remote operator. Um, and I, I think you guys might have even said you, you don't have a physical command center these days, or at least uh, that's that's not necessarily part of it. You have a lot of distributed people that make up your command center. Um, and and I'll, I'll, I'm going to go on a little bit of a diatribe for about a minute, and then I'll ask my question. When we talk about a physical command center, we we in the technology side of it, or the 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 design side of it, we talk about uh, solutions for the operator. We talk about human factors. We talk about comfortable chairs like the one I'm sitting on here, and we talk about sight lines and monitors and arm reach and KVM and and operator comfort and preventing fatigue and keeping them alert and responsive. Um, and we spend a lot of money doing those things. And then COVID hits and we go, go work from home, go work from your living room table, go work from, you know, your study, from your sofa. Um, talk to me about whether or not those standards that apply to a physical command center still apply for the remote operator. And if so how does, where, where's that balance, right? Because we can't all build personal command centers in our houses. So where do you guys see that balance? How do you guys ad address that? Right. Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those areas where um, we do need to still invest in. Okay. And here's why it was a, it was it was very quick and easy to get everybody to go and work from home. OK. And to put in their own investment in whatever itty bitty um, uh, modifications they could make to whether it was their apartment, their home, the study, the, you know, efficiency um, when this was a short term situation when there was a chance that okay things are going to change and we're going to go back to the office now that people are now that we've chosen to um literally move the office space to the home and the teams are separated geographically which is great because we're able to hire talent from everywhere okay um we need to be able to invest into making sure that those workspaces okay which are still hours to manage okay are safe okay and allow allow our uh, operators to re remain productive um because especially now it is so easy to one um you know have um operators specialists analysts that have to be out because they're sick or something comes up etc okay it's so easy to lose that productivity uh but two it's also very easy to lose that, um, uh, I don't want to say loyalty, but that that camaraderie that we used to have. Okay, that 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 um, um, I guess loyalty to the organization that that we work for, and us as managers, we can't always. I'll say most of the time, we can't see that until it's too late. Simple ways to make sure that that stays in place is providing effective, you know, the proper equipment to those people who are working from their homes. Okay, make sure that they design their spaces such that they can work productively. You mentioned chairs. That is literally the simplest thing that we can do is make sure that everybody has um, an ergonomic and comfortable chair that they can use. Okay, because we used to have the opportunity to, you know, um, grab our coffee, you know, walk out the door, get into our car, drive to wherever we're going, walk, uh, get out of the car, walk to our office, all of that you know, allowed us time to do stretch different, do different things, but we've lost that. Now I literally roll out of bed, roll down the stairs, 
<laughs> you know, roll, get my cup of coffee and roll into my desk. You know, that's literally it. Um, I literally have to find some excuse to get out of the house um, some days just so that I can meet other people or, um, you know, get a breath of fresh air, that sort of thing. I, w- I want to add to that because one of the things that you mentioned at the very beginning is the human factors, right? We were talking about the GSOC. We were talking about the chairs, how they need to be ergonomics. We're talking about circadian rhythm and how those lights can influence the night operator so they can feel relaxed and they can answer to those emergencies in a, in a, in a professional way, I guess. Um, right now, we continue to carry those human factors. For example, Lemmer and I work for the same organization. Uh, we have our leadership meetings. One of those things that we talk during this uh, leadership uh, powwows, uh, positive powwows, is how can we help the people that we are leading? We talk about mental health. How do we influence uh, our analysts to take time to themselves, be mindful of that time that they're taking to themselves, and that way re-energize so they can come back and service our clients? That is one of those very important things nowadays. So we continue to look at the, cons- the human factor of things, but more in a emotional, mental health way, uh, making sure that everybody is having that balance, balance at work and balance at family life, because we are home. I'm going to have a kid run by. I'm going to have a dog bark. And how can I, as a human being, not feel that I'm not doing my job because I have those external components affecting it, right? That's important. So building that connection with our analysts, uh, making sure that we continue to remain in contact to build a little bit of that human connection. Uh, Those things are important too. Let's not put aside the human importance in security, the human factor, right? Yeah, a duty of care is really taking on a whole new new definition uh, with the work from home, especially around the mental health conditions. And we've always had an issue with retention right, uh, and attrition in the marketplace with, of, of command centers, right? Burnout is a real thing, whether it's a physical space, a cyberspace, uh, whatever the case is. And when you have the remote workforce, it becomes harder to see things the way you might pick up on them if somebody's physically in the same space. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, the last two points I want to go back to our GSOCtopia webinar that we did way back when. Um, and I think I got this right in terms of who was responsible for which statement. Uh, uh, who's responsible for the concept of the squirrel effect? I think that was Sonia, right? Nope. Yeah, Sonia. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Sonia. And so first of all, Lambert, I, don't know when we, I don't know when we record whether you're going to be I up, know. over, whatever the case is, but he's playing with Sonia. <laughs> um, I don't know either. Um, so, Sonia, what is the squirrel effect relative to command centers? And talk about that for a minute. So, just one minute? Okay. I'll do my very best. But, uh, I think the squirrel effect is something that we cannot walk away from, whether we are in a SOC, GSOC, VSOC, doesn't matter. For example, right now, I have threat hunting, right? How can I stop myself from going down the rabbit hole to find an answer? I have difficulties with that. I know the people I'm leading have difficulties with that because what we want are answers. What we want is to find a very deep end, the root cause. And the squirrel effect is exactly that, to get distracted, and while we are looking for something, we jump in to do something else, come back, then jump into a third thing, right? Can we stop? Can we stop that mindset? No, we can't. 
can we tame it? Yes, we can tame it. Um, right now, for example, one of the things that I do that I did not do in the past when I was in physical security, uh, right now I have a timer. I have broken down my schedules into one hour for this, one hour for this, two hours for this client, two, two hours for this analyst. Why? Because otherwise I won't be able to control this mind. This mind will go in every single direction. I don't know how you feel about that, Lambert, if you still see it in your business unit. Yeah, or <laughs> I, I completely agree. My schedule, I even have time just, you know, blocked off just in case, you know, I need, you know, whether it's 15 minutes to solve a problem. Everything is now very regimented because, as you said, Sonia, the brain and the time will completely yeah. get away from you. And a lot of times it's just to stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's just to stop. Yeah. So the I concept of time management and the, the, yeah. the squirrely nature of that, for sure. And then when you start talking about it in a command center environment, those distractions, right? It, human beings become very easy to get distracted, whereas they need to stay on task. So uh, interesting and, and uh, very cool. I appreciate you sharing that. It's one of those things that stuck with me uh, throughout, throughout the years. The other one, and I think, Lambert, this one is yours, is guidelines over policy. Um, talk to me about, find that a little bit more for us. Especially now, and Sonia can completely agree because we work now in, in an area where we are not the smartest people in the room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Which is, it's wonderful it is, though. It is, it is amazing. Okay. It is all, there is, it's the first time that I can honestly say I'm working with people that if they ask me for help to do the thing. I absolutely cannot. I can advise them a lot on, you know, okay, maybe here are the options. Why don't we go down this road or go down this path, et cetera. But, um, but with that, because of that, that I can't do it, I have to rely on them. And that's where the guidelines come in, okay? They need the flexibility and, as Sonia says, the accountability to be able to do the work, even if they make mistakes. Okay. Um, which used to be a problem when I was in physical security, because I'd be like, oh, you didn't get it. Okay. Do you know what? Either I'm just going to do it. Okay. And now this operator is not going to learn from the process, or I may get mad and, you know, just force them to, it because it should make sense because it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Now, and you, go ahead. So you just said mistake, right? We mm -hmm. no longer see mistakes are mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mistakes mm -hmm. are learning opportunities. And that learning opportunity drives the change or the improvement of that guideline. Mm -hmm. That's what's so amazing about yeah. where we are right now and the nature of our business nowadays. Mm -hmm. Because it used to be that if, if, if it worked for me, it ought to work for everybody else. But that's because that's how my brain works. I'm, I wrote the policy, you know, or I wrote the procedure, so it should work. We're learning that, of course, people are different, <laughs> you know. Wiggle room, right? That flexibility exactly. within that, right? Pivoting because, and things like that. Yeah. The it's different the end goal. standard, yeah. Yeah, it's the end goal that we want. We want the result. Right. I don't care so much how we get there anymore, you know. If somebody has a better way of, you know, yeah. uh, getting us there, that's what we're doing. I love that. I love that. Um, 
So first of all, thank you both very much. Uh, it's been way too long since we've done this. We can't wait this long again because uh, I always learn something when I'm hearing both of you speak. Uh, I know for a fact that right now I'm not the smartest person in this room, and I actually do love it. So I feel that now. Um, thank you again, both of you, for being on here. Uh, Sonia uh, Travi Knowles and uh, Lambert Ebbett. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And stay tuned for our next episode of Knock Your Socks Off. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan.